I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today I get to speak to John King, our urban design critic. For the better part of two decades, John has been looking at the proposal to build San Francisco's newest neighborhood. And now it's almost completely done. We'll discuss Mission Bay, what works about the development, what doesn't, what we were promised it would be, and what it is now. That's coming up next on Fifth and Mission. John King, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So you uh, are writing a story that by the time this podcast airs will be on sfchronicle.com about Mission Bay. And I, I bet you don't remember this, but one of my first visits to Mission Bay as an editor, I believe, was with you when there was nothing out there at all. And they were promising this amazing new neighborhood, which would have all this housing and it would be the most amazing place to live. And now, more than a decade later, it's built. It's almost done. There are four or five empty lots if you know where to look for them, but they're all on the fringe of the area. And one or two of the empty lots are being used as staging grounds for buildings that are being built, so you don't even realize they're empty lots. But you're right. I mean, I I wish so much that back in 2008 or so, I had really walked around south of Mission Creek with a photograph and just recorded what it looked like. Then You had a few buildings popping up where UCSF is, and you had one forlorn apartment building just south of the creek. And other than that, it was like a suburban tract. You had streets laid out and paved. You had lights up along the way. You had all this stuff and empty land. And it was the kind of thing where it was like, will anyone ever get here? And then once the boom resumed, you know, it's taken on a life of its own, but most people don't even know it's there. So let's go back more than a few decades mm-hmm. ago. Let's go all the way back to 1848, let's say. What was Mission Bay there, then? Yeah, the, the 92nd history. Mission Bay once was a bay. It was kind of a boggy inlet that was covered in water most of the time, even at fairly low tides. And then once the gold rush proved more than a passing fancy, the city of San Francisco grew and grew and grew. One way it grew was just by filling in the bay. And Mission Bay by the 1880s was mostly filled in, not for people to live, but as a rail yard that Southern Pacific owned. And the rail yard served the port of San Francisco that was busy growing. And as the area grew, getting products to the where people lived. And then why did why did it not grow the same way South of Market did? You had one landowner and you had one landowner that covered 300 acres or so in rail yards and storage sheds. So there weren't buildings to just naturally get turned over and redone and things like that, which is what you had South of Market. You could have an incremental growth. Down there, you had a big chunk of land that was off limits. You know, maybe one road went through the whole thing. And this is true of rail yards in cities across the country. San Francisco is not unique at all. And you had these big rail yards owned by big rail companies looking to make a big fortune out of them. And some happened pretty quickly and smoothly, but Southern Pacific had 300 acres in San Francisco and no idea how to 
make it work so that it made sense financially and it would get through city politics. Ah, the city politics. So, so speaking of that, yes. when does the city start to look to Mission Bay as a place that it can put homes? Yeah, as a planning story, and if the Chronicle ever wants to give me a year's leave to write a planning history of Mission Bay, I'm willing to volunteer. <laughs> Things really got active in the early 1980s. Southern Pacific hired John Carl Warnicke, a very prominent local architect who at one point was Jackie O's boyfriend back in the like, late 60s. Good tidbit. Historic trivia. Uh, his firm drew up a big plan for like 20-story buildings along Townsend Street, lots of stuff. The plan, the renderings were never even shown. It came and went so quickly in 1981. Southern Pacific then decided we need to get serious. We need a little bit of cool cachet. So they hired I.M. Pei, who did the, um, the Louvre in Paris, the East Gallery of the National Museum of Art. The firm did the Hancock Tower in Boston. And they cooked up this scheme that had took Mission Creek, cut a canal south from Mission Creek, wrapped it around islands and lagoons, created like this kind of island in the middle of the city and then put 40-story corporate office towers north of it. And essentially, we're kind of concocting this new downtown with gondolas or something. I like mean, it, a Venice with office towers? Yeah, kind of a high-rise Venice. I can't imagine why that didn't eventually <laughs> get built in the city. Diane Feinstein's response was a letter saying, eight stories is the height limit, and we want to plan the thing. So Southern Pacific pushed this for a while. I've, I've seen the tabletop model that's, you know, probably 30 square feet. With gondolas? No gondolas on it, but with the canal, with, you know, with the wooden models of the buildings. And Southern Pacific finally gave up around 85 or so and told the city, okay, you do the planning, we'll write the checks for it, which... Music to city planners' ears. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty entertaining... The legality is questionable, but everyone agreed to it. Is and that what eventually happened, though? Not really, because the city then used all that money, cooked up a plan that got done just as Feinstein was leaving office that had 10-story buildings. But basically, south of Mission Creek, it was all low-rise housing, cul-de-sacs, little neighborhood parks, things like that. And then north of Mission Creek were like back office buildings, like eight-story blocks for offices, which actually now would have worked with the with tech companies, but were no one was interested in them. Um, Art Agnos came in, elected by a real kind of to-the-left neighborhood coalition. He said there's not enough affordable housing because there's only 30%. We want 50 or 60% affordable housing. Two or three more years of planning went on. There was an election. Agnos's people had turned on him in the meantime, so it was defeated. So it was redrawn with more affordable housing. It got approved by the Board of Supervisors. And it was so, there were so many goodies piled into this thing that it was unbuildable. So it just sat for a few years. And then Catellus, which was Southern Pacific's real estate company, just pulled the plug on it and said, we've got to start over. And then at some point in there, people start looking at 
building AT&T Park not very far away. How did that change the uh, interest in Mission Bay? I mean, Bay? that's what one of the things that's so interesting to me is that when Mission Bay was a place that only planning junkies knew about, it didn't have a chance. It was too far away from things. But then the Giants got approval to build their ballpark down on Mission Creek. And suddenly Mission Bay was that empty land next to the ballpark, where the ballpark was going. Meanwhile, the next mayor, Willie Brown, knew that UCSF was looking for land to build a new campus, had been looking for a decade or so, and cut a deal with Catellus saying, okay, basically Catellus and the city went to UCSF saying, we'll give you 43 acres of land for free if you build a campus there. And UCSF said, sounds like a good deal to us. We're well, why would it. they do it? Why give it away for free? Because you needed an anchor tenant. It's like a shopping mall needs a department store. And with a lot less publicity, Catellus got to move all the square footage it would have developed on those 43 acres onto the rest of the property, which is one reason it has such a, all the buildings look so kind of beefy and squat. It's they were able to pull all this density and then stuff it into everything else within the allowed height limits. Hmm. So it, it was a very well done deal. And I, and I should I, I should make one clarification already. I do know it is now Oracle Park. It's hard for me to keep track of what we're calling the ballpark. It's but still Pack Bell Park. Today. Yeah, it's exactly. A lot of a lot has changed in that neighborhood over the years. When I moved here, I don't think it's an understatement to say. It was still really depressing to go out to Mission Bay. There were a lot of abandoned cars and a lot of junk. And then to see what it is today is just, it's really amazing to me. What do you think about how the neighborhood turned out? It is, is it what you thought it would be? I don't think it's what I hoped it would be. And you know, there's a long story in that. I think it's actually turning out better than most people think it is. I like how it's turning out. I spent a lot of time there the last six weeks or so just to get really acquainted, reacquainted with parts of it. But more than that, really see how is every block of this filled in or not. And it's a lot more livable. You know, I think a lot of people have never been to Mission Bay or they just know it's like this blur of buildings between the ballpark and Interstate 280. When you go in there, there are parks, there are playgrounds, there are a lot of bad buildings, but there's starting to be a lot of good buildings. It's a pretty lively place. And just quickly to go back to what you were talking about, I, how it was a depressing area. In researching this piece, I was going through old Chronicle stories, and Carl Nolte wrote a piece in 1999 or something that just referred in passing to the hundreds of of vans and RVs that were down there that people were living in. And, you know, now it's such a huge story in the city. There were probably more then, but they were off the map, so nobody paid attention to them. San Francisco still had areas that were off the map. I mean, that's a huge part of the city development as we keep building up and building up in these areas. People who were there, yes. it's it's displacing yes. them. Yes. So what did you hope? You said it wasn't what you hoped it would be. What did you hope it was well, going to be. The, the hope all along in this, and this is confounded every city trying to build cool new neighborhoods, is we're going to build a neighborhood that's got everything you love about old San Francisco. It's going to be cool and hip and funky and everything. 
Inevitably, though, it gets broken into these single blocks and the big developer then sells the single block to the big developer who brings in the architect they have working for them all over the country to build a big residential building or a big office building within the allowed zoning. So you just get these kind of homogenous buildings that just fill all the space. And with Mission Bay, it was so carefully planned to try and prevent anything weird happening that everyone just filled in the box every square foot they could. So you get this real kind of lunky block after block after block. The flip side is as it softens, as the trees grow, as more people are there, the way buildings look or something doesn't stick out as much. But I think what I would have loved would have been something that had some had more surprises in it, more nooks and crannies. And that's hard to do at that scale. Yeah, I you know, the the neighborhood to me, you're right. It seems like just an office park of condos. And it feels sort of soulless. But when you look at the plans of what it's supposed <laughs> to be, there's always these big trees and lots right. of people and they're outside watching a movie somehow. Is that do you still think that that can happen in Mission Bay? Or is it happening in I some think areas? It is happening in some areas. And if if you want to get a sense of what makes Mission Bay feel promising right now is you cross the creek, Gus's Community Market, which has three others in San Francisco, open there. It replaced a real kind of yuppie, con- well, yuppies out of term. This real kind of cool urban concept market that flopped instantly. And Gus's has good food at by San Francisco standard reasonable prices. Get a sandwich or a salad or something. Then just walk down Long Branch Street. You've got a kid's playground on one side, a dog park on the other. The kid's playground is always jammed, except when our photographers go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, I was like staring at the photos <laughs> accompanying the piece and thinking, how did they find a time when there were no it's kids It's a great there? playground. It's, and it's a, a playground great... for a lot of different kids. And, and people are surprised, I think, in the neighborhood that mm-hmm. so many children and families live there. So many children. And that's one thing. It is 30% affordable. And so you have sprinkled in there all these affordable housing buildings, many of which are family housing. There is a real diversity of kids in Mission Bay. And when you're at the playground, it's a nice mix of kids. It's a nice mix of people. The dog park, of course, is jammed because everyone who doesn't have a kid has a dog. And, you know, it's not a bad place to be. So what do you think um, is, what is Mission Bay going to look like in 20 years, do you think? Mission Bay in 20 years is going to look a lot like it does now. However, you'll be less and less aware that you've entered or left it because you've got a lot of development on the periphery. You've got kind of the trees settling in, things like that. Chase Center, the Warriors Arena and everything kind of breaks down this weird divide between UCSF and the residential condo blocks that you talked about. And you're just going to get a bit more of, well, where does Mission Bay end and Dog Patch start? Where does Mission Bay end and Showplace Square start? That's going to kind of blur. So it's going to be more this integrated t- newer, into the city. newer part of town that feels a little cleaner, feels a little more spacious. Maybe it's not quite your ideal look, but you actually kind of like being there. So the Chase Center is a major part of 
of what we see mm-hmm. from far away when we look right. at Mission Bay, uh, where the Warriors are going to play in their next season. What do you think, as the architecture and mm-hmm. urban design critic, what do you think of how the stadium turned out? Yeah, I I can never, you know, really judge something fully until it's up and operating because things always change at the end. What has surprised me a few things. What surprised me most of all, it's visible from the bay, but when you're in Mission Bay, it's hard to find the thing. Yeah, that's true. The, the Warriors have jammed so much around the building that even when you're on 3rd Street, which is kind of the entry street, it's hard to know where it is. It's just crazy. They've got office buildings on either side, and then they've got this bizarre, ovoid, Spanish steps entertainment building in front of it that's like this glassy orb that just kind of got parachuted in. And then you notice beyond it this kind of silvery thing. Uh, so that surprised me that there's not a lot of curb appeal. and because you can't see it from the curb. (laughs) Having said that, the building has more nuance and more liveliness to it than I was worried might be the case. Because a lot of these, you know, I hate to break the news to people, architectural renderings often look more exciting than real life. I think in every single case, (laughs) (laughs) they look more exciting. This is actually a building where uh, the architect, David Manica, he does arenas for a living. The Warriors budget as far as I can tell, was insane. <laughs> and, you know, there's there's some depth to the building. There's some energy. There's some variety. I mean, it it isn't just a big lump that'll look good for two seconds on ESPN. It's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty interesting looking building. Yeah, it's going to be on, that neighborhood's going to be on ESPN a lot. That's their hope. Yeah. Although it, it it's not as dramatic as if it had been on a pier in the bay, the or, original plan. Or if one of the original sketches for the stadium had come true, the one that, as you point out, um, Matir and Ross likened to a toilet bowl, which instantly got that plan uh, flushed away. Or <laughs> architects. the yes. plan. Yeah. So, you know, this is not our only large plot of land Mm -hmm. that could be developed into a new neighborhood. We have the Hunter Point uh, shipyard, which still has a lot of cleanup to go through and a lot of uh, chronicle reporting and a lot of debate over that. But assuming that we can move forward sometime relatively soon in the development of Hunter's Point, what do you think the lessons are from Mission Bay that need to be fixed in Hunter's Point? The lessons from Mission Bay purely in terms of the physical development. And this is a lesson a lot of developers have picked up. And I think that Hunter's Point developers put to use, don't lock everything in from the start with saying, you can have exactly this many square feet, exactly this high, exactly this wide, because you're just going to make everything look boxy. And then people are going to say, gee, everything looks boxy. I'm not going to get in the details, but zoning has become a little bit more varied to allow for a bit of wiggle room. I think the real lesson for Hunter's Point or for anything that large, you can't specifically say this project will have this, that, and that type of use. San Francisco, as much as any city in the world, shows that you cannot predict what's going to be driving the economy 10 or 15 years from now. You know, Office towers were not needed in Mission Bay, even if they got an approval. Back office spaces are now in India or things like that. UCSF did work, but the big biotech renaissance it was supposed to spark 
didn't happen. The warriors are there. Who would have said, oh, the warriors and Uber and Salesforce, the warriors will buy their land from Salesforce and Uber will build its headquarters there. When the Who would plan, have even said back there the warriors would even be good and we'd be excited when, about where they and moved And when to. the plan was approved, Uber didn't exist and Salesforce didn't exist. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you don't know what's going to lie ahead of you. And so you have to give a little bit of wiggle room for things to just evolve. So my final question about our newest, almost mm-hmm. finished neighborhood, um, as you know better than anyone, San Francisco is a city of neighborhoods. Uh, when we meet each other, we tend to, one of the first questions is, where do you live? Because you have a stereotype right. of people who live in every neighborhood. What is going to be the stereotype of Mission Bay in a few years? Oh, that place between the ballpark and the arena? <laughs> you think so? You think it will still not have an idea of one cohesive stereotype of what a Mission Bay resident is? I think a, a Mission Bay resident will probably be seen as, oh, so they think they're too grown up for the marina? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a very good prediction. John, thank you so much for being My here pleasure. and talking about Mission Bay. My pleasure. I'd like to thank John King for being with me here today. Thank you to our producers, Karen Creighton and King Kaufman. And thanks to all of you who listened. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.